God, we thank you that you are a uh, good and holy God. We thank you that as we look around our world, we see uh, your fingerprint all over the place in your creativity and in your goodness. We ask this morning as we think about uh, what it means to be a gospel-centered church, uh, what it means to be a church that uh, worships you, we pray that you would help us to see that you are the king, that you are the creator, and you are the one who has authority over our lives. So, so help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, sometimes in life, it's hard to get your response right, and sometimes it matters. Right? I think we all know that. Not all the time, though. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, I was, uh, got the privilege of going to the Broncos, and in that environment, it's not hard to get your response right. In fact, it's really easy. When the Broncos score, you cheer, and they have scored a lot lately, so I've been able to cheer. Even if I didn't get that right, though, it doesn't really matter. Uh, when, you know, a couple, the seven people in the crowd yell out Broncos and start to clap. You know, you can, you can choose what you want to do there. Your response doesn't really matter in that moment. You can be the eighth person to get in on that and clap and, and cheer because, you know, the, the crowd doesn't really do that. Or you can let it slide. When a ref makes a bad decision and the crowd boos, you know, it's easy. You know what to do there. You Boo, right? Now, it's not to say that we hate the ref, it's just to influence him slightly. This is, you know, in that environment, getting your response right is easy and it doesn't matter. But when it comes to God, this is one of those places where actually our response sometimes can be difficult to know exactly what we're supposed to do. And it really matters because he's God and he's called us to respond there. And we know how he's called us to respond. I mean, we saw it in chapter 12 there. He uses this word worship. And worship, if you're new here today and you're not, you haven't been at church for a little while or, or at all, worship is this word that Christians love to use. Right? We know we're meant to do it. Right? We know we're meant to do it. We sing about it. The first song today, 10,000 Reasons, Here I Am to Worship. We sing right about worshipping. Sometimes we even call our Sunday services worship services. But ultimately, the question is, what is worship? Right? What is worship? It's a difficult thing to nail down because the Bible doesn't actually give us, like, here is the definition of worship. So, so think about this now. If someone comes up to you and says, what is worship? What are you saying to them? What kind of things are running through your head when someone asks, what is worship? Right? I don't know if you'd have an answer or if you'd sort of be in the ballpark of that. But we do need to know what worship is because God calls us to it. And so our question today is, okay, so, so what is it? Right? What is worship? What does it mean? And specifically, what does it mean for us? And so what we're going to do is we're going to start in Romans 12 because we see that he does talk about worship in Romans 12 verse 1. But then we're going to see that basically Romans 12 speaks about two kind of ideas. First is God's mercy. The second one is worship. So if you have your Bibles, although it will be on the screen, Paul starts like this in Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So, so there it is. He says, uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. This is your true and, and proper worship or spiritual worship, your Bible might say there. 
And so we've got to ask this question, what is worship? But it's important that we kind of actually get Romans 12 right here, because Paul doesn't start with worship. He starts with God's mercies. And so we need to know that wherever we're going to go with worship, we start with God's mercies. Right? Like we, we need to know that because Paul starts this chapter with the word therefore, and even though we filed away all of our English classes back from school, we do need to know why the therefore is therefore. And Paul gives us a hint, doesn't he? In view of God's mercies. Literally, it's by God's mercies. And what we actually see through the book of Romans is that Paul spends 11 chapters unpacking what God's mercies are. 11 chapters. If you've read it lately, you'll notice he goes at length. He labours to show us how good the mercies of God are. And he speaks again and again about this idea of the gospel. Now, the gospel is literally good news. The kind of good news that makes you want to dance in the street. Now, I know what you're thinking. What kind of good news makes me want to dance in the street? Like, I'm having a pie for lunch today. That's good news. But I'm not exactly going to go in the street. So, what is Paul? Why does he pick up on this language? Well, it's kind of like uh, there is news that we would all admit that would make us want to dance in the street. So I heard uh, on Anzac Day, I heard this story about uh, this guy that fought in World War I. He um, came back from World War I, got married uh, or was married, had three boys uh, after World War I. By the time World War II came around... Uh, all of them were of age to actually have to go and fight in World War II. And so the dad says, if they go, I go, and him and his three boys go off to war. Now imagine being the wife in that situation. That's brutal. The gospel is the news she got when the war is over, and she can have her family back, which she did. Right? That is the kind of level of gospel that we're talking about. And that's what Paul is speaking about in Romans 1 to 11. He says he starts the book off by saying, I am a slave of the gospel, of this kind of good news. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so we are. So what is the gospel? And that's where we go to Romans 5, because in Romans 5, we get this explicit explanation of what the gospel is. Again, we'll have it on the screen. But if you have your Bibles there, flick over to Romans 5. And what we're going to see in this passage is that first the gospel is good news individually. First the gospel is good news individually for me subjectively, but but then the gospel is good news objectively and, and communally. And so he starts by explaining how God's mercies are seen individually. And so we see that in verse 5. Now, now sorry, just to Wrap up for chapter four is all about how we're justified by faith. It's this idea of being declared innocent before God, not because we've done anything, but because we trust in Jesus. Verse chapter five starts the first four verses about how that's a good thing in the good times and the bad, and then we pick it up in verse five. This is what he says And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God's mercies are seen first and foremost, individually and subjectively, in how God gives himself in the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, we often celebrate the fact that God has given himself in Jesus, but here what we see is that God has actually given himself in the Holy Spirit. He has given himself in the Holy Spirit to help us see and experience the love of God. He's poured out his love into us. And it is subjective, it's individual, it it differs from person to person. 
Right? Yes, we'll see it through the, the Bible. Yes, we see how God's love is shown through the Bible and the Word and all that sort of stuff. But what he's saying here is actually that the Holy Spirit's been given to us, and this is a sign of God's love, of His mercy. Right? But so, so it's individual, it's subjective. And this was my experience when I became a Christian as well. I felt, I, I had heard about God's love my whole life, but it wasn't until the moment when I was about 18 when I actually experienced it for myself. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's individual and it's subjective. Now, if that's all we've got, then what we have is kind of hard to explain to people and, and to help people see that what we've got is something real and tangible. In fact, this week uh, I was reminded that, uh, so we've shared our public opening stuff on Facebook. We paid some money to basically put it on people's news feeds that don't follow our church or like our church or anything like that. So naturally, what you're going to get is people, you know, not happy with seeing a church thing in their newsfeed. And this week we got a comment on our uh, event. I don't know if you saw it. I think it was actually pretty tame. And I'm thankful that the girl put it there because it shows us what people are thinking. And she said this on the event. She said, um, churches are for people who go who don't believe in anything. Have a good day and may the force be with you. Now, pretty tame, I thought, considering it could have been much worse. And as you read that at kind of 10.30 at night, you want to fight back at it and be witty. And, and so I wanted to reply. In fact, I'd basically written it into my phone. I know we do have people that like Star Wars, but I'm 95% sure they don't actually think it's real. But you don't poke a beehive. You let that stuff slide. And so didn't reply to it. And I'm actually thankful that she commented because it shows us what people think, right? They think that churches are full of people who believe in something that doesn't exist. Now, if what we have is only individual and subjective, then it's hard to actually argue with that. But what Paul's about to say is it's not just individual and subjective. In fact, we can see it objectively in a real time and place in history. And we see that from verse 6 onwards. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, publicly, Jesus was crucified, not because we were perfect, not because we were good, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we can see this, right? God's love isn't just displayed in how he's given himself to us in the Holy Spirit. God's love is on display for the world to see as Jesus hangs on the cross. But see, we can't just see this objectively or read about this. I think we've got to feel the weight of this passage as well, right? And I think if we think about our lives, we can so think about this. For a family member, would you die? If push came to shove and you had to die for a family member, would you do it? I think all of us, right, would, would have a good, strong think about it. We, we would probably do it. What about for a friend? For, for a good friend, would you die? Right? I mean, again, I think we probably would think about it. But, but what about for a stranger? I mean, that's starting, we start to think about that one. Or, or what about for a person who has given up their right to live? What about for a murderer? 
or a pedophile. So no one would die for them. But God's saying here that his love is actually seen in how he died for us, not because we deserved it. We deserve the opposite. Not because we were perfect or we were good. In fact, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we have to feel the weight of this. Right? This is the kind of good news that we're talking about here. This is God's mercy on display for all to see. We didn't deserve it, but God gave it to us in love. And so if you're here today and you haven't heard about this kind of good news before, or maybe you're wrestling with it, we'd love to sit and talk about what it actually means for you. God's love transforms everything. It's the greatest love that you can know. And we'd love to help you figure out what exactly that means for you. But, but then there's the question, if we have experienced God's love in him giving the Spirit and the Son, what do we do with that? Well, Romans chapter 12, therefore, in view of all this, he says... In view of God's mercies, worship. Right now, I think this word in view is actually helpful here. Literally, the idea is by God's mercy or through God's mercy. Right? We know we're saved because of God's mercy seen in what Jesus has done at the cross and the giving of the Holy Spirit. But this language in view is actually helpful um, because it's kind of this idea to not let it out of our sight. Uh, so I, I don't have kids yet. Um, but I've seen parents watch their kids at the beach and I've seen the tenacity with which a mother looks at their kids when their kids are swimming in the beach. So you know what I'm talking about. At the beach there are you know, big waves and rips and all sorts of dangers and there is a tenacity in a mother's eyes to keep their child in view. Right? To just keep looking, not let them out of their sight. There is a tenacity with which... And when that big wave comes over for a second, panic hits in, and then you see them hop up and all is well. That, that, that kind of idea is actually kind of helpful here when we think about the gospel and God's mercies to have the same tenacity to keep that in our view. Because there will be times where we're going to want to do things that we claim to be for God, which will actually have, have let this out of our view. Right? There'll be thing, times where we will serve, where we will um, paint walls, where we will you know, run youth group, whatever it is, and, and we won't have the gospel mercies in view, and yet we, we need to have it in view. We need that tenacity. There'll be times where it feels like we're being tossed by waves and we're not seeing how good what God has done for us really is. But we need to hold that on, hold that in view, because he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, worship. Worship. So let's ask this question. So what is worship? What does it actually mean for worship? I mean, he says here, be living sacrifices. But actually what we find is as we read the rest of the Bible, we see that worship is bigger than just that. And so how do we know what worship is? Well, uh, this guy called David Peterson, he's a, uh, he was a principal in London of a Bible college over there. He's a lecturer, was a lecturer at Moore College. Uh, pastor for many years, wrote uh, this book and many others on worship. This is a good book to think about this kind of idea and, and singing and stuff like that and what it means. And he says worship is three things. And so the first thing as we read in the Bible, what we see is that worship is homage. Uh, it's this idea of grateful submission to God. It's when you read the Bible and you see that someone falls before God and worships. So in Exodus, when Moses falls before the burning bush, it says he fell before and worshipped God. It's this idea of grateful submission to God. Uh, and when you see Philippians 2, every knee shall bow and tongue confess, that's kind of that's worship to Jesus. 
Uh, so the first way uh, when you see worship in the Bible, that's what it, it can be talking about, homage or grateful submission. The second one is reverence. Uh, this idea that God is God and he is in control and we should fear him. And we see this when we read in Romans 1. Uh, if you know the passage, it says they worshipped and served created things rather than the created God. And literally the word for worship there is reverenced. Right? They feared created things. They feared creation more than they feared God. And so fearing or reverence, that's worship. And the third one is service. And that's actually Romans 12. So offer yourself as living sacrifices. It's this idea of complete obedience to God. And as you read through Romans 12, you kind of see this. And so worship is homage, grateful submission, it's reverence and it's service. And what you can see starting to unfold is that worship is both a vertical thing between me and God, between us and God, and a horizontal thing. Now, interestingly enough, in the last hundred years, uh, churches have sort of been grasping with what worship is and we've done this kind of strange thing. So a hundred years ago, uh, if you would go to church a uh, hundred years ago, what you would see is that the church service is all about the vertical. It's all about me and God. Right? The, the buildings were designed like that. Uh, they were the stainless uh, windows and all that sort of stuff were kind of designed to help us feel that. Kids weren't allowed to kind of run around because, you know, this is between us and God. You would make sure you dress nicely and not wear shorts on stage. <laughs> Because it was between us and God, there was this vertical thing that was going on there. P.S. Keep wearing shorts on stage, I don't care. Um, but, but so what would happen, right? A hundred years ago, kids weren't allowed to run around. It's, it's vertical, it's between us and God, right? And so over the years, we fought against this strictness and said, actually, we want kids to be kids, right? We, we celebrate our kids. We want kids to be kids and what you wear doesn't matter as much and even where you meet. So we would meet in schools and, and, and parks and stuff like this over the years. And so we're, we're fighting against this vertical thing and the pendulum has swung so far that church is now this primarily horizontal thing. In fact, in 2002, this guy, David Peterson, in, in this space, uh, fighting against this whole vertical church is only a vertical thing, fought against it by writing a book where his big idea was uh, worship is all of life. And if you've been in a church like ours for kind of 15 years or so uh, since it was written, you would have heard this idea before that churches, that worship is not just singing, it's all of life. Right? And um, I, I mean, I remember this as uh, growing up in the church. And I wasn't even a Christian at this point, but for some reason it's one of my only memories from that church. And... Um, I remember that the, the uh, person getting up there to lead us in singing was saying, you know, they, they, there was this church that stopped singing for six months and they were trying to wrestle with what is worship and they figured out that it was all of life, right? They, they, that's what they came back to as they looked through the Bible. And so I remember her saying, so worship isn't just singing, it's, it's kind of, it's all of life. And then we sung, here I am to worship, uh, I'm coming back to the heart of worship it's more than a song. Right now, over the years, what we've seen is that this idea, like we've grabbed a hold of this because it's a good idea to know that worship is all of life. And we've championed it to the point that even, and, and I've, been, I've done this, where we get up and say, let's sing. We make sure we don't say, let's worship, because we want people to know that worship is all of life, right? It's not just singing. 
And so what the swing is in this vertical has swung so far to now it's primarily horizontal. Well, we actually recognize church as this horizontal experience. Now, David Peterson, the guy that wrote the first book in 2013, wrote another book. And he basically said, you guys have taken it too far. And in that book, what he said was worship isn't just a horizontal experience. There is also something vertical that happens as we gather and as we meet. He says it like this. Uh, This is his quote. He says, Authentic worship embraces the whole of life. But this does not alter the fact that there is a special realization or expression of worship when we gather as Christ's people. The Ascended Lord relates to us collectively and inhabits our congregations by His Spirit. And He points us to 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17 and 2 Corinthians 6, 16-18. What He's saying there is, yes, worship is all of life. And we agree with that 100%. But it's not just this horizontal thing that happens as we scatter. Something special happens as we gather. Because as we gather, God meets with us. God meets with us. And so you can see in this whole thinking about what worship is, balance is needed, whether it's vertical or horizontal. Right? You don't just want pure vertical experience where the kids can't be kids. But additionally, we've got to recognize we don't just want a purely horizontal experience where we're not actually recognizing that God is among us. And so this is kind of what worship is. It's, it's homage, it's reverence, it's service. It's both vertical and horizontal, and it's what we do in view of God's mercies. Right? That's the big thing here. We have to hold God's mercies in view, the good news of the gospel, and then we worship. And the reality is we do this as we scatter, because worship is all of life. Right? We do this as we scatter, and so in our homes when we are praying, we are acknowledging that God is in control, and we are not, and we are worshipping in our homes. We are worshipping as we uh, say no to sin and yes to Jesus because we're saying, actually, I fear the Creator more than the created. We worship as we meet in growth groups and encourage each other and spur one another on. This is worship. And as we scatter, we worship. And it's the recognition that if we think that if Sunday is just worship, well, we've actually got it wrong because all of life is worship. But then we worship as we gather. Right? We actually worship as we gather because as we meet here today, God is with us. God is among us. And so we have designed our church services to actually help us engage vertically with God. And so, well, well actually we do it both, horizontally and vertically. So, I mean, churches, we come, we have a long time for morning tea, we have a break in the service, there's lots of time to, you know, serve each other and worship horizontally. Uh, as we serve on welcoming or on the sound desk or playing guitar or bringing morning tea, that's worship, right? That, that actually is worship horizontally. But uh, worship is also vertically. And so we thought about that and we want to encourage us to actually engage with God as we meet here on a Sunday morning. So when we open up God's word, we are recognizing that God has authority on our lives. We call it God's word to remind us that God is speaking to us. Like we say this often, this is God's word. We didn't come up with it. The Bible says it. Um, But we're recognizing that God is speaking to us. And as we respond to God in repentance, we're recognizing God has authority on our lives. We pray to God. 
When Angus gets up here before and prays, that is us worshipping as we're holding on to God is the creator and the one in control. We worship as we pray. And then definitely, last but not least, we worship as we sing. Singing is worship. It is. I mean, in, in the Bible, there are 400, over 400 references indirectly to singing. Uh, there are 50 direct commands to singing. And as we sing, we worship God. And that is a moment for us where we're actually able to pull back and fight back to gain some of this reminder of this vertical thing that's happening as well. We sing, we lift up our praises to God. We magnify Him, we worship Him, we make much of Him. And so we uh, actually want to do that better as a church here at Southside. We, we do actually want to worship in song better here at Southside. And so to do that, we have actually made a couple of decisions. The first decision that we've made is to get some speakers that actually work. So if you uh, were with us at the SDA building, uh, if you, you know this, if you sat in the first three rows either side of church, um, by the end of the service, you needed a week to recover from how loud it was. But in that building, what happened was the sound died. And so once you got to the back, it was actually quite quiet. And so it was hard to work this. You turn it up so the people in the back can hear and you're killing the people in the first three rows. It was horrible. Um, we praise God that we've moved from those speakers. And it was also really hard to tune as well to get the singers right. And so we've made the decision here to actually get speakers that work. Now, look, we know we got it wrong in the first couple of weeks. Um, you can blame me for that if you want to, but it wasn't my fault. But you can blame me. <laughs> I don't care. Um, <laughs> but what happened was that the tuning was off, but now we've actually got people who have thought a lot about these speakers. I mean, they're paid to do this as a job, and not just let's set speakers up in a room, but how is this going to help us worship God? And man, it has helped us worship God. I mean, how good do our musicians sound and our singers sound in these last couple of weeks? It is so good. They have done such a good job and we are blessed as a church to be able to have these guys playing for us, helping us worship God. And the guys at the back on data have been killing it, right? We have been able to worship God in ways that Southside really has never experienced before and it's beautiful. So thank you for those people who are serving. It's helping us engage vertically with God and we're grateful that we have speakers that actually work. So that's the first thing we're doing. We've actually got speakers that work. And again, sorry for the first couple of weeks. That's on me. The second decision that we've made though is actually that during the singing, we're dimming the lights. Now I know that this is a new thing for us. We tried to do it at the SDA building, but it was still too bright. Uh, but we're dimming the lights and we're doing this for three reasons. The first reason is to recognise some of this vertical thing. We want to actually recognise that God is among us and church isn't purely a horizontal experience. God is here with us. And so for the four songs, or today we're going to sing five songs that we get to sing, we're going to dim the lights to help us focus on God. It's kind of the same reason we close our eyes during prayer. It doesn't mean that the people around us disappear, but it's actually to help us recognise this is between me and God. The second reason that the lights are dim is because we want to encourage us to expressively worship God. And for those of us who do want to expressively worship God, we want them to not feel so awkward when they do. Uh, so I appreciate that the lights are dim because I want to chuck my hands up there and praise God. Now, I haven't always been like this. 
Um, I know that you know maybe watching my hands today it makes you feel like I've you know came out of the womb flapping my hands around, but that wasn't me. Uh, I grew up in a prezi church as well. I have been paid out my whole life for going to the frozen chosen church, so I know this right. Um, full well and have experienced that. But two things challenged me to actually think about the way I worship in song. The first one was thinking about uh, how do I act in other passionate, uh, expressive moments. So I would say, yes, Jesus is the most passionate thing in my life. I love and excited about Jesus. And then I would sing bored out of my... Well, I'd look bored and my hands would be beside myself. And then I would go to the Broncos or the Raw and my hands would be up and I'd be chanting along louder than I was at church and, and to tunes that are worse than the ones at church. And for me, there was actually something, a realisation in that, that there's something wrong with that, right? There, there's a disconnect there. Um, but the other thing to think about too in this is that there are, and I, I mean, we don't have them today, but there are about seven references in the Bible that when we praise, we should lift our hands. Uh, so God's actually calling us to this. It's a sign of surrender to God. It's a sign of submission to God. In fact, in Lamentations, uh, it talks about, it says, lift your hands for your kids. And it's picking up on this imagery, like your kids come to you with their hands up to you, right? Of, of kind of like, you're the parent, I need you right now. And it's picking up on that idea that when we do that to God, it's that kind of idea. So there's some things to think about in that space. But really, we want to dim the lights to recognise that it's between you and God anyway. And whether you lift your hands or not, this moment, praise God with your heart undistracted to him. That's the second reason. And the third reason is we want to reach lots of people. We want lots of people to know who Jesus is. And if new people come to our church that don't want to sing, we actually kind of want to make it comfortable for them. We don't want to look at them and make them feel awkward. We want to encourage them. If you're just checking us out, if you're just finding out what Jesus is about, Stand there, sit there. It's not about us and you, it's about us and God. Now, now I know that there's some other things to think about, but they're the three reasons that we're thinking about this. And again, we know that the first week we got the lighting thing wrong as well. right? We gave you colouring in sheets for your kids and then turned the lights out so they couldn't see where they were colouring. Um, maybe that was just to you know, embrace the fact that I also can't colour in and just wanted to feel a bit better. But, um, so we know we got it wrong in that space. But we're getting a bit better now. We're working through it. It's a teething process. But that's what we're thinking about because we do actually want to worship God. And we do want to do this in view of his mercy and in recognition that worship, as we pay homage to him, grateful submission to him, as we fear him, as we serve him, it's not just this vertical thing, it's also a horizontal thing. But at the same time, it's not just a horizontal thing. It is also a vertical thing. And as we gather, God is with us. And so we want to be a church in view of God's mercy, in light of the gospel that worships him. So what better way than worshipping him now? Uh, I'm going to pray and that's worship. And then we're going to sing and that's worship. And then we're going to have morning tea and do community in worship. Let's pray together. God, we um, come before you in recognising that you are the God and the King of the universe. We come before you and uh, we praise you for that fact alone. But we also recognise that you are the creator, the one who has the right on our lives. And so we want to fear you more than we fear other things in this world. 
Finally, Lord, we recognise that as God and as Creator, you have authority and the right to our lives, and so we want to serve you. God, we pray that we would be a church, a people that does this constantly in view of what you've done for us, in giving yourself in the Spirit and in giving yourself in the Son. Help us to have this tenacity to keep the gospel mercies in view. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.